Hey, what's going on? This is the Educated Guest Podcast, and I'm Justin, your host. Hey, if this is your first time listening, then thank you for taking the time to join in in this movement. Most people who tune in regularly are artists and designers who are seeking a transformational style of education. So if you're someone currently looking to start a studio or you're pursuing a career as a full-time artist or just trying to get the job of your dreams, then you are in the right place. The good news is that there is some method to the madness. We're not just randomly talking about things. We have three episode types, which includes our well-known series of dialogues entitled Well Read. Our three segments collectively answer questions regarding personal development, professional practice, and artistic inspiration. And as you might have heard, our current summer lecture series is brought to you in part by Salonier, a brand new trend and philosophy platform by the design studio Bodega. Let's face it, you know, if you've been in business a while, then you know how strange it feels to talk to clients and partners about trends. You know, most people just avoid the conversation altogether, you know, because they have no way of defending or standing up for any creative decision they make. As you know, this frustration alone can cost you clients, retainers, referrals, and the list kind of goes on. So that said, how would you feel if I told you that you could access the exact research methods, frameworks, and insights used to help clients like Nike, High Stability, and Business of Fashion think through their strategy. This is what Salonier is all about. The fact is that marketing and brand directors pay loads of cash every year for these same insights and Salonier is making them available to you for just a fraction of the price. Good news is that just for educated guest listeners, Salonier is offering a special discount code. So if this sounds like something you need, then just head to salonierpaper.com and enter the promo code Educated guest 20 to receive 20% off your subscription. Again, that's salonierpaper.com and enter the promo code Educated guest. So, for today's guest lecture, we're joined by my friend John Maeda. And as you'll learn throughout today's conversation, John has a very wide range of experiences to draw from. And I think that's part of the beauty of this particular conversation. Just a few of these experiences include serving as president of Rhode Island School of Design from 2008 to 2013, serving on the board of directors for companies like Sonos and Wine and Kennedy, and serving as a professor for a dozen years at MIT Media Lab. The list could naturally go on and on and on, but as you'll begin to see throughout the next hour. The most interesting part about John, in my opinion, is not necessarily this long list of accomplishments, but perhaps his perspective on the idea of accomplishing anything. I think for his work in advancing the national STEAM movement, he's someone we should be looking at in terms of how the practice of being a designer, whatever that may mean for each and every one of us, seems to integrate with modern society. So without further ado, I'd like to go ahead and jump into the conversation. I hope it finds you well, and I hope whatever you're looking for is looking for you. Let's do it. The first question is pretty simple, and it's how does it feel to be John Maeda? How does it feel? It feels comfortably insecure, but also secure, like a combo somewhere in between. Oscillates depending upon what happens in the day. If it's Friday, Is it always doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Has that always been a consistent theme? I mean, like one uh, thing I've noticed from day one has been that sense of curiosity. And um, yeah, I think there's an there's an advantage from coming from nowhere because Mm. you don't know what you can't do. So nobody told you you can't, nobody told you can. And if you're slightly delusional, you just keep on going. Mm. So if if we had to back up and slow the story down to 16-year-old John, 
Yeah, where where are we? What's the setting? You know, sixteen-year-old John. How would you describe in, it? Sixteen-year-old John is it's a public high school in central Seattle. Working all the time at his parents' shop after school during summers. Parents don't have an education. It's kind of like a dream to go to college. That, mm. That's how I grew up. And 16, I met Mr. Wakefield. He was my chemistry teacher. Okay. He was this big, very uh, overweight, quote unquote, sort of uh, Caucasian man, fought in Vietnam War. And uh, he took an interest in me. And he wanted me to succeed. So he took me under his wing and I would like wash test tubes, uh, you know, do all kind of stuff. And he would like give me extra books. And he said to me, I would never get to this mythical MIT place if I didn't do things like extracurricular things or over the summer, go to like a summer program at a local college. And I said, my parents will never let me do that because I have to work at the shop. And yeah. And then he came to the shop on the weekend to talk to my parents. And I just remembered, like, he didn't have to do that. Mm. But if he didn't do that, you know? So it kind of puts in perspective for me, like, in this very complex time we live in, like, how you look may not be how you think <laughs> that person is, is operating on. I'm like, huh. Mm. It and I imagine Seattle is much different decade to decade, particularly from how I guess I grew up understanding Seattle and large associations with like grunge music and large associations yeah. with Microsoft. It's like yeah. what what is Seattle prior to that? What, what was it like? Seattle was not a popular city and mm. I, I don't know how to put things into perspective in that time. It was rainy and foggy. And <laughs> I grew up in a primarily African-American neighborhood. Mm. And um, I just remembered, like, it's like I just remember things nowadays, you know? Like, I remember when I was in second grade, the the the, 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 the two best kids in math were me and Eldridge. Mm. And the best writer was James. How do you and, remember these names? <laughs> and James is African-American and Eldridge as well. But then I remember like by grade three and a half, maybe, they were pulled off to be with the cool kids. And they couldn't be like a, a nerd like me, basically. I was bullied a lot, so better not to be on the, the others. They were on the strong side. Yeah. And I always remembered like this weird moment. I was like, I thought we were friends. I thought we can nerd out together. Like, no. And I think about how lucky I was and how no one cared about me as a whatever I am. I had no that other stuff. Mm -hmm. Think about that a lot. The chance I had, whereas others may not have had the chance. You know, one thing you reminded me of is the time that we first met in person. I remember you had a, a circle around you, like I imagine you must always and frequently do. And people were looking to, towards you for all this wisdom. And I'm going to ask you two questions. And the first has to do with what you said to me. And you were like, yeah, one piece of advice, unsolicited, is, I don't know if you remember this, but one piece of advice unsolicited is when you're young, everyone says, oh, you have such great potential, <laughs> all this potential. And then you reach your 30s or 40s, your 50s, your 60s, or what have you. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, look at all this stuff you've done. You were so, amazing. <laughs> right. So I, I'm curious about, you know, where you, what's your initial feedback to that, your initial reaction in your life at this point? Um, I guess I've kind of followed that as a kind of way to do things. Mm -hmm. I think when I get too good at something, I, I get nervous and I like to 
be in something that I, I likely will not survive in and mm-hmm. see if I'll make it. Because when I do so, it activates humility. And number two, it activates have to survive. Mm. And number three is kind of activates the pain to force you to learn, I guess. Um, I think I like, I like that space. Knowing that one day I'll be too frail to, to do it. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. So people always say to me like, how did you do that? How did you do that? Well, I didn't think a lot about it. And I don't recommend it per se, um, but I've been doing it. And so far I can still come back. So the second part of that question, I think you segue towards interestingly, how would you feel if somebody like me says that, Hey, I don't really know you much for the work you've produced, but I know you for the ideas you've produced and the frameworks and the thought leadership. How does that make you feel? Oh, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know what anyone thinks about me. I know that once in a while I, I go on social media and discover that someone hates me for some reason. Um, I discover that someone likes me for some reason. And I don't remember doing that or saying that in many cases, but I'm like, hmm. Um, I, I just know that I'm a kind of accident in the system. I don't think everyone in America makes it. And when I went back to Seattle one time in the Chinatown International District area, I remember like walking into this really like hole in the wall restaurant and it was like 3 p.m. and nobody's in there. And there's a kid like studying in one of the stalls. And clearly it's a kid of the parents who owned the small restaurant. I was like, oh, I was that kid. How Hmm. did I how do I get out of this like stinky place with no possibility? That shouldn't have happened. And think of Mr. Wakefield, you know, sort of like large Caucasian man who was bald and, you know, it's like, huh, wasn't it for him? I don't know. You know, wasn't it for my parents who worked all the time to enable me to do things? Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't have made it. Think about that. That, that gives me focus. Do you think that your, your, your confidence and your willingness to say something like going to MBA as sort of, an ho- of, a, of a hobby, mid-career hobby of sorts, do you think that is part of whatever success you've achieved if, if you consider any of these things being successes? I don't know. I um like I, I I just don't know what I'm doing. I don't think anyone knows what they're doing too, I think. I think I think though if you come from a really good family where you've seen all these examples of how and what you can become. Right, right. I mean, you can argue that that's like torture because you have to like outperform the past, but at least you have some templates. I think in many people's cases in America who don't haven't had that lineage of whatever, you're kind of missing it. Um, mm. So you make it up. And if you're too aware of the pain when you fail, it's, it's hard. I think someone said to me, this is when like crazy rich Asians came out and people were really angry at me for something I said online or in, a, in an article and like, you're so privileged, you know, I'm like, I'm not the guy from crazy rich Asians. <laughs> I'm the guy right. from like, you know, like back of the dumpster in Chinatown and dirty and I, I'm never, you know what I mean? But that said, yeah, I do have privilege compared to other people who have even less privilege. And it makes me kind of think like, wow, I'm really lucky. I have some kind of resilience in me. You know, some people can't, you know, it's not their Mm. fault often, but I, I build on that gratitude to kind of Mm. get myself back up. You know, my favorite thing, when that favorite thing, do you feel like, Mm. go ahead. Do you, yeah. Do you feel like there are different, hmm, I don't want to. 
I got to tell a, a brief story and then I have a question. Cool. Yeah. So I guess my own creative, uh, you know, angst stems from mm. this idea of legacy, right? Like mm. I was listening to this interview with Verdine White and uh, Rick Rubin, mm -hmm. two of one of my, two of my biggest like mm. creative pillars in life. Mm. Um, mm. And Verdine was like, yeah, you know, I think the young people are not so interested in success anymore. They're interested in immortality. Ooh, and he, what he, what he, what he meant was essentially like, I want, I'm pretty sure that success is fleeting like the wind. So I want to live forever. I want my work to live forever and mm. making great work. He was assuming, and he was kind of, a, I guess, putting it out there that that's one way to do it. So my question mm. after that brief story is essentially like, do you find yourself ever thinking about um, the memoir in question or the, the memoir of the future or trying to bring some or some connecting node between all the different specs in your life story? Um, well, you know, I think I've discovered myself as like not in the center of everything and I'm on the edge. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. And I can relate. I, I I kind of feel like, hmm, I guess it'd be kind of great to be in the center because you don't have to work so much because you're in the center of gravity. It 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 don't have to think as much. But when you're at the edge, you're mm. like, hmm, okay, I'm gonna gonna make sure I don't like wander too far into the center because then I'm not sure how to think. So Mm. I th and also the the danger of conceit or success of any form. What is it? Um, remember that movie? Was it called Birdman? It's by Inyaritu. He said something like his father said to him, mm. "When you get praise, it's yep. like poison, so you have to spit it out." And so I've always mm. thought about that. You know, again, someone who has privilege, someone who has psychological safety. They can do that. Some people cannot. I want to keep reiterating the point that I'm hyper aware that yeah, some people yeah. are more resilient than others. Um, but um, think of that. Um, I met so many people in my life who are so happy by what they did. And they, they didn't think twice about their, them being awesome. But I saw they didn't seem mm. to be growing. They were like a static thing, and I and I kind of lost interest in them. So I was like, hmm, mm. I don't think I want to be like that. So that's all. What I notice in almost any response that um, you've had this far is there's this uh, this this childlike whimsy in in a light and airy type of um way and i noticed that it's very uncommon for somebody who has certainly knows many things and has experience has had many experiences under his or her belt and i wonder i really wonder like what is it about your daily practice as an artist as a designer that might lend itself to that light and airiness is there a spiritual practice? Is there if a, a practice of friendship? Spiritual, whatever. I don't know. Um, I guess it's... Um, I, I get excited when I learn. When I learn, I feel like I'm growing. And when you learn, you have to be in a state of curiosity. Otherwise, you'll push it away. It's like... Every time someone thinks you've done something really good, that can be the positive reinforcement that gets you stuck. And I've been stuck at different times. And then I realize, huh, I got to get unstuck. How do I get unstuck? I have to get curious. When you're curious, you have to fail at the same time as you're curious because it sort of counteracts the, the joy. It kind of brings you down at the same time. So it kind of like... Help you, helps you learn fast and not get too victimized by the actions you've taken because you're, we're curious. 
I think no. young people are used to doing this more than older people are. And again, I think at some point I will not be able to do it, but I think I'm not done yet. So that's my feeling when I wake up in the morning. I'm not done yet. Okay, let's keep, let's keep trying. Mm. What are you reading right now? What's got your attention? Oh my gosh. I'm like reading everything I can about COVID-19 and vaccination and how to be safe and natural disasters. I'm like in, I'm in the new part of the tech stack. This is safety. It's a safety tech stack, the safety stack. Mm. It is interesting. So that's all I'm, I'm just voraciously reading everything I can about everything I ignored. Because at the very top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, tech is all about like, you know, self-actualization, like, 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 friend, 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 <laughs> bye, right. bye, bye. At the very bottom of this, of the tech stack, the safety stack, there's like dark stuff. There's like bad stuff mm. happening. And so I love being in this space. I've never been in it before. So it's just that. I'm curious about your thoughts on um, someone like, uh, or a book like The Future is Faster Than You Think, um, Pierre Diamandis and his, oh, I think he wrote, yeah, Bold, yeah. that's his most yeah. recent book. Oh, and good. I tend, I tend to like it. And this is, I'm not asking for your opinion on him as a person. I'm asking mm. your, your thoughts on having the boldness or having perhaps stepping into a role as a person of foresight and categorically saying at any given point in time that these are things to be looking out for. And these are the industries that, or I guess functions within the industries that are going to be changing at a certain pace and trying to establish those parameters. Like what do you, what's your general opinion on when one should do that? If, if one should do that, how one should do that? Mm. Well, I definitely prefer to live it instead of writing about it or reading about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think when, you know, when Donald Trump became president, I remember there was a book everyone was talking about. Uh, it, was, it was about like um, West Virginia, Appalachia. It won like a, it was like a New York Times bestseller, a hillbilly elegy. Everyone's like, have you read it? Oh my gosh, it's amazing. As you read it, I'm like, have you ever been there before? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. <laughs> like, no, I haven't been there, but the book is riveting. Yeah. So that's why I got on a plane and it went to West Virginia and Kentucky because I wanted to see it myself. Mm. And it really reshaped a lot of my thinking because when you're there, you're like, oh, well, this is why you think this and how you think this. And I never thought that. And if I just read in a book, I wouldn't have understood it. Or like when I was hanging out in Detroit at a lot of small businesses run by African-Americans in neighborhoods that I might not normally have access to, I was like, oh, this is a small business. Oh, you just want to have a business. It's hard to get traffic here. It's, it's, it's complex. It's simple. So I, I prefer to be in it. Mm. And then I can learn much faster. Um, but I think I can also help to translate across worlds when that happens. Mm. And that's using my privilege as someone who looks like this, right. uh, which I call a type O minority, where I can go anywhere and be kind of accepted, but kind of not. And mm. um, use that to facilitate more connections. It's funny you mentioned specific um, geographical locations. Uh, for context, right now, I took on a new adventure in my life to study at Harvard GSD. Mm. And um, it's a big studying, deal. yeah, it's fun. It's, uh, you know, one of those lifelong curiosities and yeah. it's that time. So naturally it's a, one of the oldest and probably more traditional architecture schools in the world. And totally. I'm curious about your opinions on on that method of teaching perhaps Ooh, look out mm -hmm. number one and number two um the the perhaps the 
let's start there and I have a couple follow-ups. Let's start there. Okay. Well, um, I think the great fallacy of design that nobody tells you is that most successful designers or artists are wealthy or they live in wealth networks. Mm. And I think when you don't realize that you're, you get some kind of dream that there is a meritocracy, that somehow you can make it, and then you starve to get there. This is kind of this mentality of like, you know, you got to make it with integrity, et cetera, dot, dot, dot. You know, the world will find you. I find this all kind of a great narrative that holds a lot of people back from actually doing what they possibly could. And I, I think the sooner you realize that what I'm saying is not offensive, it gets a little bit easier because you realize your success is not primarily linked to your work. It's t- connected to who you know and timing. Mm. I mean, like if you look, go down the list of all the Prisker winning prize winning architects, right. I, I imagine that 99% of them are associated with terrific wealth networks because how do you build a building that expensive? <laughs> Who's going to trust you? A random guy shows up, a random woman shows up. We're like, I want to build that. Mm-hmm. Versus my son, my daughter, my son-in-law, my daughter-in-law. And again, people work to have that privilege too. Not saying that's easy. Right. That's, that's hard stuff too. But um, opportunity favors those who have had opportunities. Mm. Um, and once you realize that it gets easier, and then they get excited about anomalies. Like you meet people who are like, wait a second, you're not rich and you somehow are doing okay. How'd that happen? And you try to ask and like you double click on them and say like, what what steps did you take to get there kind of thing? And then you realize, wow, anomaly. And then you want to frame it as how do I become an anomaly? And the reality is then you can't become an anomaly, right? Um, So I think that people are, but when they hear that in the past, when I describe that as like, oh, you don't get it. And I'm like, I don't get it. <laughs> so I'm not the right person to turn to, the right person to teach you or to be in a program or blah, blah, blah. That's why I, I choose to do this instead. Mm. I choose to learn instead of pretend I know something. The follow-up to that, has mostly to do with the integration between technology and mm. space. That's important. Yeah. And um, I'm curious about yeah. where you think the most um, the most opportune mm. touch points are yeah. in that ecosystem. I am humbled by how far ahead industry is when it comes to technology. I felt that way when I was at MIT. Uh, there was a brief moment when MIT, Stanford, et cetera, were ahead of tech because there was there was no Google, there was no Facebook. Mm-hmm. But once that took off, I don't think you can compare the two anymore. So that's why I've spent all my time in tech just to kind of catch up, really. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know that. Like, what's that? Oh, I should have known that. I imagine myself not knowing all this and pretending I know all of it. And I think, oh, (laughs) I'm really glad. At the same time, I'm kind of wistful and thinking like, wow, if I was ignorantly proud and happy of myself, would I be quote unquote happier? Mm. Mm. You know, Um, I, I think of that. Uh, I'm human, I'm weak in that way. I'm like, hmm, wow, that would have been so much easier. What am I doing? Mm. Um, yeah. One thing about the MIT experience, which, you know, we could be on that probably for an hour. Um, I'm, I'm curious about this notion of how to, all right, two-part question. I know I've had a lot of those, but the first part is, yeah about sort of the ecosystem of integrating design into 
the business world. And I, just to keep it simple, you know, you have sort of the side of the spectrum where it's like, I design things with the hope of selling something. So that's right. ad world, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And then mm-hmm. the opposite, you know, mm-hmm. building. Mm-hmm. At what point, how do you, how does one justify, um, Body. you know, how does one justify his or her interest in wanting to go into something like marketing, especially given like the somewhat dystopian future of like ad, the ad agency world? Wow. What a great question. Um, well, first of all, I, I, I know that in GSD and other places, there are really great teachers. Yeah. They're like really great. They, they really have devoted themselves to teaching, to working with younger people. And, you know, I have to say that that's, it's a kind of intellectual philanthropy, which I, I do admire. Um, I think anything involving business, however, doesn't work well in the higher education setting. It's, it's too disconnected to be useful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just because of nature of it. So like who's teaching you uh, has a full-time job in organization and doesn't have to work against or with the forces of, of capitalism. They're protected. Right. Or if they're working part-time as a, as a professor or wherever you might be, they've given up half their income to do that, meaning that they're doing fine. So they have, they don't have to work as hard. So there's something different there. Their business forces are, are off a little bit. So you, you can't learn from them that part, the business part. Same with the technology part. You're better off like spending time at Facebook, Google, Twitter, whatever to learn tech than from someone who's professing to know all about tech. That's teaching it or whatever. That's, that's not, that's not the thing. But you can learn how to learn from someone mm-hmm. as a universal thing. Like I remember there was this, um, uh, he was my AI professor, uh, the late Patrick Henry Winston. Okay. I remember when I was a freshman at MIT, we were all walking in and taking an AI class and this like young looking guy like have a sweater and a Coke and like, who is that guy? Oh my gosh, that's Patrick Henry Winston. We thought he was a grad student. So he had a boyish charm to him. But anyways, years later, you know, I'm at MIT and I see him in the hallway, like a chalkboard. There's a chalkboard hallway. Mm. He's sitting there like doing something on the chalkboard and sitting there for like, I was, I was having like a latte or something sort of in the cafe and I was like watching like, oh my gosh, that's like, and I went over to him and said like, what are you doing, Professor Winston? And he said, I'm practicing for lecture. Mm. I was like, wow, you are the real. <laughs> this is like 30 years later. You have to like, okay, okay, different level. So yeah. I was like, that exists. And from him, if you watch his, he has a bunch of talks online, like how to explain something. He has a whole uh, two-hour lecture on how to lecture. And so I learned a lot from him. Um, but design and business, design and technology, you, you can't learn it um, in a higher education environment. But you can learn how to teach and care about people that are junior to you. That's what I like a lot. A lot of people that I've worked with as I've been in industry, they're always they're sort of tickled that I care about them as human beings. <laughs> like, you're not like a normal boss. I'm like, well, mm. I spent all my time taking care of people's careers. So that's worked out well for me in, in industry. It was a good, good trait. It's interesting because you've been doing this for quite a while. And the, the sheer fact of one wanting to pursue design as a lifelong you know, activity mm. seems a bit like the myth of Sisyphus. And it's almost as if you're knowledgeable as a designer, especially a seasoned designer, if that's even like a title one wants to carry, you're extremely knowledgeable about all the different forces, you know, kind of hindering your, your progress or mm-hmm. your projections of how the world should be. 
do you view it that way? Do you do you view <laughs> the impending future that may not be as bright? I mean, well, first of all, I don't think I've ever been a good designer. I mm-hmm. I think that I've been like trying different things, learning about different things, knew certain people who were able to help me. Said something said something's wrong that hurt people too on the way too. So I, I remember those the most. A couple times where I wasn't I wasn't kind, mm-hmm. and it always it's a feedback loop in my brain. What's an know? example of that? Someone I was at this event and talking, and afterwards someone came up to me and wanted to have a longer conversation with me. And I had to go, so I was short with that person. And I always regret it. And it made me feel in a way of like, I don't think I deserve to do that. You mm. know what I mean? So that, that stays with me. Um, I remember there was someone who really wanted me to agree with something and then like took their smartphone out at me. And like being recording me and like, you know, live, like, you know, mm. agree to something. And I was like, you know, and I didn't know what to do. So I was like, wow, this is embarrassing. Like, and then those moments, you just kind of remember, like, I can see why I prefer to hide. <laughs> yeah. It's safer yeah. being the real introvert that I am. And, um, cause they don't make mistakes. Um, so stuff like that stays with me. Um, the good moments stay with me too. Like I remember uh, when I was president of RISD, I loved talking at alumni events because I would always meet new alumni. And um, there was one art teacher who took me aside and said to me, you know, the most important thing that I've learned as a art teacher is that the best students aren't there to make art. They're Mm. there to learn about something and they're making art that helps them learn. Like, you know, that, that kind of moment doesn't happen if you don't hang out like a half an hour after you're supposed to show up and like blow out, you know? And I was like, wow. So Mm. I think in that era, I began to slow down and listen more after I I, I, I didn't see the value of that. I, I switched modes. Um, and I think it's helped me mm. uh, learn. Do you, do you view your current role now in family and friendship and profession as one of a bricklayer, perhaps? Where you're concerned about a larger legacy that may not even have your oh. writings on the wall and you're oh. just concerned about the whole oh that's interesting um no i i'm a believer in that you're only as good as your last show <laughs> <laughs> so i i don't think i'm ever laying bricks i think i'm like you know throwing dirt on the ground and just walking and keep walking and keep walking um I find that it, it helps me gamble that I might find the next thought. Because when I hold on to it too hard, I protect it and I get stupid. And I don't like that person. And I, I ward away that person. So there's no bricks. I, I don't have a lot. Um, it's bad sometimes when you think about it. I should be nurturing my my bricks or dirt, whatever. But um, I, I'm too curious to find out what else there is. One thing I've noticed too, in that response and, and many others too, is this, this innate ability to follow a thought trail and not get lost and also take, a, take others along with you on that journey. So as you've answered, one thing I've, it's very interesting to me is that it seems like the mind of someone who may not be interested in frameworks and may not be interested in a one, two, three, or like a scale method or anything like that. I'm curious about if there's a th- certain therapy, and this might be a leading question, 
if there is a certain therapy in developing those frameworks and sort of slowing the slowing the thoughts down to fit nice nice and neatly? Um, no, I I think that stress is a good cooker. Mm. Um, your need to understand. And I think when you understand it, you understand it through making, going what the art teacher said to me. Mm. So it's so funny, like, like in some of the most stressful times, I used to use Twitter as kind of like my form of smoking. It was my therapy. And I, like, I mean, you know, there weren't a lot of people on Twitter like throwing shade at you all the time. And he's like, oh, no one listened to me. No one's, no one's here. So I'm like, you know, it's like open mic night in a small like comedy club or whatever. Right. And so it's funny when like people find things that I said and like, how could you said that and whatever. I, I didn't do it for anybody. I was doing it for myself. I was trying to understand for myself. Mm -hmm. And then when people hear I feel that way, it's like, well, how dare you even say it? And I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not here for you in that way. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out myself. Um, but I don't, you know, the act of defending yourself online leads to more spiraling, you know, <laughs> into different places. Um, so it really is my one-way therapy. Do you still have any family in Asia that you visit? Um, no, no, mm. no, no. Do you feel that there's, do you feel that there's any desire deep down to sort of dig deeper into that history, that lineage, and what um, that might mean for you now? Um, not really. Um, mm. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, it's like how you look determines what people will say to you. And just being more conscious of that, more aware of that, you either want to embrace that visual identity or you want to reject it, right? Because you didn't come with that, but they expect it of you. Mm. So that's your question. I, in some times in my life, I, I felt affinity, but, but most times now I'm kind of like, does it really matter? I guess it matters to you or it matters to you or whatever, but I'm I'm not here for that. Mm. I don't want to give people that. I'm sure it happens to yourself. It's like I don't want to give that part because you're you're in control. I didn't give you the control. Huh. I've thought about that. Um, I've also traveled quite a bit, and I've noticed to your to your point, uh two particular instances. I went to India. I've been to India twice. And then I went mm. to Camp Cambodia. Mm. In both instances, it was an extremely freeing feeling where much like James Baldwin going to France at the yeah. end of his career, it's mm -hmm. like, look, I'm not necessarily tied to whatever preconceived notions are here. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's great to draw on it as a as a strength on your own terms. It's a nice superpower. It's a disadvantage and an advantage. And how to use that to your advantage is a good thing. A couple more uh, questions here as we mm -hmm. sort of come closer to the end of the hour. Um, sure. the, the experience getting your PhD in mm. design science, mm. if you had to imagine what your life would look like with that, cool. without that, <laughs> whoa yeah whoa what, what is, is that what is that hmm. I'd, I'd probably be in an engineer at apple or something now or <laughs> um probably yeah. did really well and you know i'm kind of like yeah well if you'll be honest like probably god was gonna work at sun microsystems it was a whole different path and Mm -hmm. But I lived and worked in Silicon Valley and um, went a different way. And 
I think um, I'm really glad. It sort of helped me find a more human future instead of a more kind of kind of in the system future. Mm. I've noticed that you use this phrase, um, the home keys of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've heard you say that before. And one, like, where did, where did that come from? How did you, like, that seems like an aphorism that a, a wise one would come up with. And I'm curious about how it, how it found you and what other contexts are, are there for things that sort of come to you like that. I don't know. I mean, I think it's no different than some of the stuff that I see you make. It just just arrives and you have to get it out. And then you discover that nobody cared about it. Mm. Or you discover that someone cares about it or someone cares even too much about it so it gets a little creepy. And then you realize that if you just rely on that, you're not going to keep on inventing, so you throw it away. <laughs> um, one, um, I think two more questions here. Sure. And this, the last one is usually the same one I ask everybody. I'm mm. very interested in your answer. And then mm-hmm. second to last is, I'm going to break the fourth wall, so to speak, here. And, you Whoa. know, obviously, I t- yeah, no, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I sent you, you know, right, like a outline of sorts, quote unquote, whatever, and I haven't gone through, I don't think, all the questions I gave you. You know, if the you... Mind map. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you glance at that for a moment, what's on there that you were interested in talking about? Or even like something that we haven't touched on that you're like, why didn't this, why didn't this guy ask me this? Or why, oh, couldn't yeah. we, why couldn't we have talked about that? What comes to mind oh. for you? You're not this guy. You're Justin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is a deep questions. I don't. I don't know how to answer any of them. Um, Mm. I I just, I just was happy to hear from you and to get a chance to see you again and see you becoming who you are or playing with who you are. I think you're at an important juncture in your career. Mm. As long as you remember that there will be many more in your career. <laughs> that's the that's the craziest part. You know, I, I look at you and I look at, you know, a lot of a lot of people that I've been fortunate enough to sort of cross paths with over the years. And I'm just kind of like, you know, I mean, they, they don't know too much more than I know about how things exactly. work, quote unquote. But I I noticed that much like you know I, I'm a big sports fan, I noticed that like the reason Tom Brady is consistently successful is perhaps because the game is just slow. The game slows down as the years go on, and hmm. you know I, I guess the the interest I have in these sorts of conversations is to perhaps see the bullets coming at me slower. <laughs> And to share this, share these moments with others who can also see those bullets, bullets coming in slower. Hmm. What do you make of that? No, I did like that scene when the Matrix when it came out. I remember like <laughs> hitting it in reverse. Quick time was Quick Time Three back then. I was like, "Whoa, what was that? Let's watch it again. Let's watch it again. Let's watch it again. Let's watch it again." Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think we're all very different. Hmm. I think your life has been so different than mine. So I don't, don't know how to compare or how mine is relevant to yours. Yeah. Last question is if you had to, you know, sort of step back in time again, like we began mm-hmm. and imagine the 17 year old you, one who's yeah. in America, the last legal year or last juvenile, juvenile legal year, it's probably incorrect grammar, but whatever. What advice would you give to him? Oh, he wouldn't listen. Mm. You're one of many people who answers it just like that. Every time I ask this question, I've asked it for three years now. And it's the same thing. Why why do you say that? Would you listen to anything anybody told you now? Well, certainly not now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, you're busy. You're you're busy with your life. You, I, I think that's a... Again, depends upon 
level of privilege and the situation you're in, you're healthy, all these things. Probably not, you're not thinking. And that's what's beautiful. It's all automatic. Hmm. Well, hey, this is um, what I love most about this conversation is sort of the non-linear nature of it. And I was hoping for that. And I knew I would get a little bit of it. Interesting. Because my mind works in a very similar way, hence the mind map to try to, quote unquote, organize things. You clearly have much better vocabulary than me because you use several terms that I don't know what they are. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I'm eternally grateful for this. I think that this obviously meant something to me and it will mean people mean something to the many people who listen. Hmm. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And um, I did. Means means a lot to me. I remember like, who is this young man? Like, mm. oh, he's making that. Oh, that's interesting. What is that he's making? Oh, oh, he's actually trying to, to your point, live in a commercial world with a non-commercial soul, which makes you even more commercial because you become more desirable because of it for so no, for no clear reason why. And so you just should play it because mm. when you play it, at some point, nobody wants it. And so you have to remember that it ends and then before it ends, you need to find the next spark. Uh, otherwise, you'll get stuck. And um, if you aren't independently wealthy, it can, it can bring you down. So. Hey, I'm grateful for you. That, uh, that warmed my heart. Especially this time of evening, I feel like it's the earth is vibrating differently first thing in the morning and early evening. So thank you. Hey, if you've made it this far, then it means that perhaps you were able to stick in the gauntlet of patience for long enough to get something that perhaps was looking for you in the same way that you were looking for it. You know, most people who listen all the way through these episodes perhaps are interested in something more than just a higher pay check or, you know, some job that seems to give them a cooler title, but they're not really sure what that is. And if this is your first time listening, or if it's your 200th time listening, we're indebted to you just for you lending an ear to us. Thank you for all that you do for this community and thank you for being this community without you none of this would really mean anything so thank you for the reciprocal relationship we have whoever you are wherever you are and we'll talk to you soon peace